first of all, I want to thank the youth again. Uh, I, I just put their notes all down here, and it's amazing how well prepared they were and, and how, how much they, work they, and effort they really put into getting prepared for this. They took it seriously, and for the glory of God, you guys nailed it, all of you, all of you. Now, if I don't mess it up, we'll be okay, won't we? Huh? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, and then we're going to move into the message. I don't want to be here. I've had a rough morning. I don't want to be here. I don't want to preach a message on worship because I don't feel like worship. Now, I say that with just a little bit of angst in my voice, but there's an element of truth in it. It's been a very difficult morning. Things haven't gone well. But I met with a very wise young man, and we prayed through it. And he encouraged me to stand in the pulpit this morning because God has a message for his people. And I'm never too old to learn. Never too old to learn. And sometimes God wants us right where he's got me now. So let's see what he has for us today. Before I'm accused of blasphemy, now, now that you're all bummed out, <laughs> Before I'm accused of blasphemy for trying to put a price on God, please consider the question that is presented in the title. Today's message is on worship. God alone is worthy. Worship literally declares the worthiness of God. And I believe there is a direct correlation between how much value we put on God and how well we worship. Worship declares both worth and worthiness. In other words, how much we value Christ in our lives will be a determining factor in how we worship him. Today's scripture account will provide the platform for our examination of worship and will center in on four main verses. Would you please Would you please stand at the reading of God's word? We will be in John chapter 4, a rather lengthy passage, but it's important that we work through this together this morning because, as I said, we're going to read this, this collective story, this complete account, and then we're really going to, what I call, pitch our tent on about four verses. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4, a woman from Samaria came to draw water Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Two strikes. A woman, a Samaritan. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Isn't that an amazing response? I'm tired of coming to this old well. I come, I get satisfied. And before long, I find myself coming right back to the well again. I'm thirsty. Sir, give me this water. Now, notice how Jesus abruptly switches the conversation. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right, saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers, do you see this conversation? It's really kind of just jumping around a little bit. It's kind of fragmented, but it'll come together. I see that you're a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will people worship, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here that when, that when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Don't let me mess that one up. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship with spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into, uh, into town and said to the people, come see a man who has told me all that I ever did, can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming 
to him. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word today. May it reveal our own hearts to us so that we will have a heart more like yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Amazing, absolutely amazing that just a chapter ago, chapter 3, Jesus met with one of the elites of Judaism, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader, a ruler of the Jews. Now, from that high and lofty encounter with a religious leader, he is visiting with a Samaritan woman. That is the, that's the extremes of the, of the culture of that day, isn't it? The, the who's who and the who's not. Jesus always had time, didn't he? Remember last week? He had time. You know, he, he, he cut up through Samaria, which Jews didn't do in that day. They didn't even go. I mean, Samaritans were so unclean that the Jews didn't even go into their land. They'd go around. They'd, they'd travel miles just to detour around Samaria. Jesus said, I'm shooting right towards the middle because I got an appointment with a woman at the well. Worship will fall into two primary categories. It will either be religious or relational. The woman at the well clearly indicates that the Samaritans worshiped, but it was not in spirit and in truth. It was religious, but it was not relational. It was ritual, but it was not righteous. The Samaritans were concerned about a place and not a person, do you see? They were focused on the performance and not the presence. First of all, worship is not our idea, folks. It's not our idea. It's not something we came up with. It's God's idea to worship. And it's God's intent for his people. Hopefully you've captured the entire theme of this morning's worship time. Our time together is about worship. Worship is not something we do. It is who we are. It is our identity. People are going to worship something or someone, and it will generally be what we value the most. I am here to say this morning, as, at least as a reminder, that only Christ is worthy of our ultimate love, and devotion, and he alone is worthy of our worship. Point number one, please. To worship in spirit and in truth, and that is the, the core of where we're going to, to spend the rest of our time. To worship in spirit and in truth, one must have a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart. You see, the woman... The woman had come to the well on a regular basis to draw the water. And, there, and there's history, there's generations and generations from the time that Jacob had established the well had been coming to this place to water, to drink of themselves and to water their flocks and their herds. She was very familiar with the well. But once she drank of the living water, 
nothing else was ever going to satisfy again. She began to see things through the spiritual eyes that Christ was opening in her. It was a transition as he moved the Samaritan woman from the pagan worshiper to the Christ proclaimer. A surrendered heart is a submissive heart. It's submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ to give him all the glory and honor and praise for not just what he has done, but for who he is. For who he is. He is Lord. He is Lord. Can we proclaim that this morning? Jesus Christ is Lord. And worthy of our praise. Let us worship together. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and the hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not be hardened. Do not let your hearts be hardened as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart. Do you see? Repeated theme, repeated theme. It's an issue of the heart. And they have not known my ways, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Worship the Lord, for he is worthy, and he is a just God. He is a just God. We are to worship the Lord with a surrendered heart, a submissive heart. We're also to worship in spirit and truth with a sincere heart. Just take a look at this, this honesty that begins to flow out of the woman. Go call your husband. And come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I see you are a prophet. And what did she go tell the people? Hey, this guy knows everything there is to know about me. Guess what? He knows everything there is to know about you and me too. Everything, everything. He knows everything about us. He knows our dirty little secrets. And he knows what's behind every closet door where we've locked away things that we don't want anybody to know about. Hey, that's, that sounds like, what, what's that old guy, Sigh on, on Duck Dynasty? Hey, hey, yeah. Jesus is looking in our closets this morning. What you got in there? I don't need to know. Nobody else in this assembly needs to know. Jesus already knows, so why don't you talk to him about it? <laughs> Jesus knows what's in our closets. He knows what we've hidden away in the attic 
or a corner of the basement. He knows. He knows. And you know what? He wants to pour his grace over that this morning. He wants to shed his blood. I love that song on the blood. I love that song on the blood that you guys sang this morning. What can wash away my sins? Would you say it with me? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. No other fount I know. Oh, my. Precious is the blood of Jesus. A sincere heart expressing itself in sacred worship, in righteous worship, in spiritual worship. True worship cannot flow from an unspiritual heart. Only the Holy Spirit can manifest true worship. The Samaritan woman was being transformed right before our eyes, submitting to the provisions only Christ could give, sincere and honest admission of her guilt. The Samaritan woman is becoming a worshiper of the Most High God to worship in spirit and truth, right here before us in the text. Acceptable worship can only come from a surrendered heart a sincere heart, and a sanctified heart. A sanctified heart. This is a heart that has been separated from the love of the world and unto the Lord Jesus Christ when he is our first love above all. Remember the church at Ephesus in Revelation, what had they lost? What had they lost? Their first love. Brothers and sisters, don't ever lose your first love as long as it's Jesus Christ. Don't lose it. Every husband here ought to look at his wife. Every wife ought to look at his husband. If you're not married, you don't have a spouse with you today, or for whatever reason you have been left alone, just take a moment to say, I love you, Jesus, more than anything else in the world. You can look at your wife and say, honey, I love you, but sorry, you're number two. You're number two. And guys, that's exactly where your wives want you to be. Listen to me. If men love Jesus supremely, they'll love their wives ultimately. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. For he is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, offering and offering and come unto his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with iniquity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the people in their faithfulness. That sounds like worship to me. 
That sounds like worship. A sanctified heart. He is our first love, and his value is unmeasurable, and his love is unfathomable. Worship done in spirit and in truth is a righteous and holy worship. It flows from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. People seem to seem to have a, I, I want us to pick up on something. This really jumped out at me, and uh, Adam and I talked about it. You know, as we were talking about the text, and, and I said, boy, it'd be a great series. Everything people left behind when they found Jesus. Did you pick that up in the story? What did she leave behind? Her water jar. How come she left her water jar behind? Lord said you're not going to be thirsty again. You see it? Isn't that cool? Just that little, little bitty thing stuck in there is important. That's why Jesus referred to the scripture as jot and tittles. <laughs> okay? Every little dot, every little dash, every little emphasis is important. People seem to have a habit of leaving something every time they encounter Christ. Bartimaeus last week left his cloak. Fishermen left their nets and their boats and their business. Zacchaeus left his job. Lazarus left his grave clothes. The adulterous woman left her profession. The Samaritan woman left her jar. And you could go on and on and on. Someday, we're going to leave everything behind. Right? Everything that is temporal, everything that's is, is value is, is based on earthly factors, we're going to leave it all behind. So why are we worshiping it now? You see, she left her jar behind because she was satisfied. She was satisfied with the living water from the living Lord. She is now focused on witnessing not getting water. You see, a heart that is surrendered, a sincere and sanctified heart, will be a worshiping, witnessing heart. Let us worship. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of of the horn and make a joyful noise before the king. Listen to the psalm, Psalm 98. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Isn't that a wonderful psalm? Look, guys, we got mountains, trees, rivers, and everything else praising the Lord. And we're sitting on our hands. Let's think about it. Let's think about it. When Jesus and his disciples left the upper room, they sang a hymn. In other words, they worshiped. They worshiped. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, it's unfortunate that in our in our church structure, and, and this is this is not this is not a condemnation, this is not really a criticism, it's just an observance, okay? But we 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 have conveniently divided everything up. We come and we we worship. And most often people relate that to what? Singing a song. And then of course, when worship is over, then we take an offering. And when offering's over, then we have communion. And then when communion's over, we have a sermon. You see what I'm getting at here? Folks, from beginning to end, it's worship. <laughs> Those are certainly elements within the worship service, but everything we do is worship. We give our offerings as an expression of worship. We take communion and worship the Lord and remember what he has done for us. We, we hear the word, we read the word as an act of worship. We learn to worship God through our knowledge of him and our relationship with him. But the whole thing comes down to this. You see, worship is never about us. It's not about the songs we sing. It's not about getting our needs met. It's not about what makes me happy. It's about the worthiness of God our Savior. That's worship. I want to give you a quick illustration and wrap this up. Every NFL football team, are you ready? I want to appeal to all the sports fans now, right? You got to, you got to hit every element of the crowd. Now, I looked this up because it just kind of hit me as something interesting. Does our church sometimes look more like an NFL game than a worship service? That's the question. And I'm not talking about banging around, knocking each other down, okay? Every team in the NFL has 53 players on an active roster. That's 53 but only 46 will travel at a time. So you have 53 people who are active, okay? You have 46 that are chosen as the traveling that go to the game. During the course of an average NFL game, 35, plus or minus, depending on subs, you know, offense, defense, special teams, all these kind of things, 35 will actually see playing time on the field. So times two, Roughly 70, plus or minus, of these players who have committed their lives to the game, only 75 of them will actually have time on the field of competition. On any given day that an NFL game is played, with approximately 70 people on the field total, there are 17 million spectators. Yeah. Are you getting the picture? 17 million spectators. And you know what spectators do? They're all referees. 
aren't they? They're all referees. So 70 people playing the game and 17 million telling them how to do it. Amen. Or oh my. Oh my. God is seeking more worshipers for his active roster. God is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Everything we do is worship. We're going to worship something or someone. And let me end by saying this. We talk about those things that are eternal. And it's always often been said that the soul of man and the word of God are the only two eternal things. And I agree with that. The soul of man and the word of God are eternal, but so is worship. Worship is eternal. If I may, and I beg your understanding, let me give you a glimpse of heaven. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. And they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, now here's something else. If you think you're going to have a quiet time in heaven, don't go. Get some earmuffs. It's going to be loud up there. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worship. Welcome to glory. Welcome to glory. Oh, I could go on. And they sang a song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. One more, please. Worship with me. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It has granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the white, the line, fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Remember, spirit and truth. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. In John or in Revelation 22, 8 and 9, right at the end of the book, one of the last things he was told to do, as he told us to do, worship God. Worship, brothers and sisters, worship will last forever. If you ever wonder what you're going to do in heaven, there it is. There it is. You're going to worship. Do you know why we gather together on Sunday? One of the main, well, one of the, a good, a good reason to gather together is because we're practicing for heaven. We're practicing. We're practicing the fellowship, the oneness from every tribe and nation and tongue. We all come together on a Sunday morning to worship. We, we worship together. We worship the same God. We worship the one true and living God. We worship in spirit and truth. Brothers and sisters, God designed the church for a multiple of reasons, but one of them is to get ready for heaven. This is, this is a, an earthly portrait of a future event in heaven. Do we understand just how great and good that is? This is a portrait. This is a snapshot. Every Sunday morning is a snapshot of heaven. Are you ready to go worship? The bus is leaving in 10 minutes, guys. You need to make your decision quick. You know, I was sitting one day in the home of an elderly man. He was probably at least 50 at the time because I was only 30 at the time. See, elderly keeps moving up. The category just keeps getting. I'll never forget sitting there with this gentleman. And I asked him if he knew the Lord. And he kind of paused for just a minute. And then he sidetracked the question. And he asked his wife if we could have a piece of peach pie. Now, this is, I remember this very clearly. So we got our peach pie with ice cream on it. And we returned to the question. I said, brother, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And he says, no, but I want to. I want to. And we prayed right there, a little dining room table in a house along the Mississippi River. And tears ran down his cheeks as he accepted Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you what he said as a confirmation that he was saved. I guess I got my ticket punched. 
I said, yes, brother, you got your ticket punched. You're okay to board. You're okay to board. Now, I don't know whether the bus or train's leaving in the next 10 minutes or not. But you see that? It was kind of a railroad town. And everybody understood what it meant to get a ticket punched. Just a simple man who'd come to know a magnificent Lord over a piece of peach pie and a scoop of ice cream. Are you that man today? And may I be so spiritual as to ask, you got your ticket punched? Are you ready to board? Are you already on board? This old train's pulling out of here pretty quick, folks. Amen. This old train's leaving the station. Can you hear him? Can you hear the old conductor back there? All aboard. You ever heard that? Those are the days, weren't they? Father, I pray that today you have worked through a mess. And you brought your truth to the hearts of all who have gathered here today. You brought it to mine, Lord. You nailed me. And I thank you that you're so faithful. You're so faithful. I pray for that one this morning that's thirsty and, the, and they've been running back and forth to the wrong well. <laughs> trying to satisfy with, with whatever the world could offer, I pray that they keep their appointment with you right now and they find out that you have something that will satisfy their thirst, satisfy their longing. Father, maybe someone here that just needs to leave something behind. Maybe they're dragging around a lot of old baggage. Maybe they're, maybe they're trying to pull along with them regrets and fears and whatever it may be in that old trash bag. I pray they get it nailed to the cross this morning. Guilt, shame. Nail it to the cross. Cover it with the blood. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, your love, and the hope that we have through Jesus Christ.